Hey guys, great show for you today. Young Chris Ryan is in Philadelphia, so filling in is our old friend, friend of the podcast, New Girl's Jake Johnson. Always have a great time talking to Jake. Just to let you know, after my talk with Jake, Chris will be here for an interview with filmmaker Ryan Koo, who has a film called Amateur that debuted on Netflix over the weekend, so be sure to stick around and listen to that. Also, just some other things you should be aware of, the Andre the Giant documentary made by our boss, Bill Simmons, and Ringer Films premieres tomorrow, Tuesday, April 10th on HBO. Be sure to check that out. And also, guess what's coming on the Ringer Podcast Network? Our pals at Binge Mode are going to be binging Westworld Season 1. Now, I know, I know, you're hearing this from me, but I actually would like to listen to them talk about this because maybe they can convince me. I'm excited to hear what they have to say. That show definitely, definitely has the material to binge, and they're going to be binging it this week and next week. So a lot of cool content all around. Let's get into my conversation with old pal, Jake Johnson. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk, now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Andy Greenwald. I have no fixed title at The Ringer. Joining me here in the studio, it's not, it's not Chris Ryan. It's Jake Johnson, (laughs) my go-to guy to replace Chris Ryan whenever he's out of town. Well, I'm back. See you, Chris. Let's look. Take, take a hike. A, a couple things. Chris's voice will be on this podcast later. There's an interview he did with Ryan Koo, a filmmaker. Is there any way you could cut Chris out of that interview and replace it with my voice? I'll say all the same things he said. How much time do you have today? <laughs> that would be a solid bit. Because here's, here's the thing. I said to you when you walked in, we kind of use you in a way. You're very generous <laughs> to both of us. But there's an element of like kittens playing with a ball of yarn where we don't share you. Yeah, it's true. And I didn't realize the savagery in which I announced your appearance in the podcast was just in like a side email he was CC'd on. He's he, in Philadelphia he spending went, time with his mom. What the hell? I'm with my mom. I think he's upset. He should be. He should be. Because he's... <laughs> once, they, and now he's out. He's out. Once you Whoever get the mic. Whoever I'm with, I, I, we forget the other guy. The other guy does not exist in reality. That's done. Yeah, this like is that. This is the podcast now. Uh, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice to be home. I'm thrilled that you're here, especially because, as you said a moment ago, you don't do press anymore. Well, I've uh, slowed down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for a while, it was pedal to the metal. For a, while, for a lot of years. You'd appear on anything, say anything? Anything. Just jump through the hoops. Yeah, I've slowed it down a little bit. I appreciate that. But uh, I did, Well, I also think we're in a new world where there's so much content and there's so much stuff out there yeah. that, you know, as an old timer now. Sure. Which, guess what? There was a time I was a rookie. I'm an old vet now. Yeah. You're Wiley. I want, now, you, I'm you not Bartona Cologne. No. I'm not that much of an old vet. But in the same sense, I was thinking about the other day, now that New Girl's ending, you know, we finished recording. Yeah. Uh, I did Letterman and Leno. Yeah. Where I was like, those were, I was like, when, when I did those, those were big pressure. I like borrowed yeah. an expensive suit. I asked people advice. I, I talked to you. Yes, I remember. The first time we talked was the day. day of, and I was having a panic attack. Yeah. You were great. Thank you. <laughs> but that tell. whole feeling of it, of press back then felt like, well, this was my childhood stuff. Right. You know, there were, I saw Carson and then I saw Leno and then right. I saw Letterman and you have to appear on that. I respect that guy's going today, but yeah, they feel more like peers. Like you're right. Like it's a, it's a hang. It's a hang where you're like, yeah, great. You've done, you've, you've checked things but also, off. The game now is all like game oriented too. That is true. Where I'm like, everything feels different where I'm like, well, why don't you just a couple actors with a lot of Twitter phones just tweet at each other, remind each other of the movie and ask a friend to. Shh, I just have to tell the guys in back to get rid of the inflatable suits because right. we were going to play. <laughs> eat it. We're going to eat like hot sauce. <laughs> we were going to do that. But I didn't know you weren't into it. I'm not into it right now. I'm interested in this new phase of your career. You're just getting people out by guile. 
right? Not well. I mean, look, it's the this new phase of my career is slowly fading out of this career, (laughs) (laughs) turning into that weird guy where you go. I think that 300 pound guy who smells like (laughs) urine was once on New Girl. (laughs) I'm in that phase of my career. Will you be the only one? Of the former cast members of New Girl who fit that description, do you think? Or Yeah, I think Zoe will always work. Yeah. She's just far too talented not to. Right. She'll always bounce back between music and acting. Okay. Uh, Max will always work. Yeah. Um, he loves it. He loves the work. He loves the work, and he's good at it. Uh, Hannah Simone, I think, is going to be the sneaker. She's now the lead of a show. Yeah. Uh, I hope it gets picked up. But she, we always knew in the inside she was talented. She was the girl deep on the bench. Sure. Where the players would go like, she could get more minutes. Come on, Rook. Yeah, she could get more minutes. If we called a play for her, I think she could score. I got to say, I've seen two episodes of, by the way, press promo, New Girl returns for its final episode. tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, Tuesday night. Uh, Hannah Simone, Breakout. Oh, really? really, really funny. In the final eight. In the, yeah. Well, in final the, two you saw. Particularly in the final two. I'm done, by the way. I'm not going to watch the last <laughs> no, six. Sure. But oh, good. in uh, number two of eight, she does some stuff. She's good. She's uh, she's really talented. Uh, and I'm really happy for her. She's a very nice human being. She's easy to cheer for from the uh, inside. But you're done. This is it well, for I you. forgot about, I can't forget Lamorne because oh, he's right, the guy yeah. who will listen to this. Nobody yeah. else in the cast will listen to my, <laughs> Lamorne will, I'll get a text being like, hey, Dick, you forgot about me. Uh, Lamorne will always work too. He's very talented. And your lack of working will be just from pure earned apathy? <laughs> like you just can't be bothered? You know, or um, What was the line in a Bottle Rocket about, and I'm going to butcher it on this spot because I'm not great on the spot, but when, uh, uh, not Luke Wilson, but who's his brother? Again? Owen. Oh, Big no, o. no, I'm sorry, Luke Wilson. When Luke Wilson's <laughs> yeah. exhausted. Yeah. And he said, you haven't worked a day in your life. Yeah. That's why. Just, I'm exhausted. Just, I haven't really worked a day in my life in this. I'm like, I've done so much press. I really have. I just. You're just deep bone tired. <laughs> deep bone tired. I get it. I'm old man tired. I feel like, uh. Feel like I've worked really hard in this business, yeah. and is it is it a time for me to like be in a convertible in a parade and wave at the family <laughs> and be like, "Thank you, guys"? As soon as you walked off set the last day of season seven, did you set your your uh, iPhone stopwatch for like twenty years for the reunion shows? <laughs> like that's yeah, exactly. This well, is the window I have left. What I'll do for cash is I'll be the guy who goes to like expos with only like 80 people in Montreal where I like sign some stuff Yeah, where I'm like, there'll be like some like really sad announcer who's my cousin who's like, <laughs> you all remember him. I love it. <laughs> he, he played Nick, no, Jake Johnson. I'll come out. There'll be a few applause and then I'll go, hey, I would love to sign in and take a selfie. It is $8 a pick. It is $3 a sign. Are you susceptible to like just sketchy marketing opportunities. If someone comes up to you and yeah, is like, Jake, time. we're going to do Pepperwood novels. We just need it. your photo. Yeah, I love it. We're going to put them in Sadly, Kindle singles. I am more, I am very interested in weird advertising. Branding opportunities. Any, any goofy new age branding stuff, yeah. any new age weird business yeah. where people are like, you know, you'd have to come to a couple <laughs> meetings. You'd own 8% right. of, you know, I'm like, I feel like I am, uh, JV backyard street alley trash version of Shark Tank. <laughs> hey, Jake, I want to talk to you about an idea. And I go, let me hear this. And I go, I'm interested in doing it for 15% equity. <laughs> no matter what it is. 
The idea for me, man, ideas yeah. come and go. It's just about equity and fake companies. That's right. How are you doing? How are those? <laughs> Dog shit. How's man. the portfolio? No good? <laughs> My portfolio is vast, but none of it's making money. It's fair. <laughs> you know, it's hard to make money in this game. You just spread it around. Look, the world's changing, man. You know, money's like, you know, money comes and goes, but ideas are there forever. <laughs> now, I don't want to be the devil's advocate. No, please. You could work yeah, in the industry and yeah. get paid, probably. Unfortunately, I'm a businessman. (laughs) More than an actor. I'm a business, period, man. There aren't, that was a thing that rappers used to say. Yeah, I know. I met uh, Chris Bridges, Ludacris, on a No Strings Attached. Okay, right, yeah. And so he, that was a side hustle for him, right? He had like six businesses. You don't hear many actors saying, like, I'm not an actor. I just do this. Because actors are punks, man. They're fools. (laughs) (laughs) But not me, man. I'm a businessman. My only problem, I am a businessman. My problem is I'm not great at business. (laughs) But I like the idea of it. I like the what, idea. What do you like most about business? Uh, making that money, baby. So that's your, it's like paint your picture. <laughs> so when I have my meetings, I pay a full staff. Sure. I am about 300000 in debt uh-huh. as we're doing this meeting. <laughs> at the end of this, I am going to ask for a little bit of scratch to get home. Gas tank is at an empty. Stomach is also at an empty. For the record, I have a granola bar with your name on it done, sitting behind me. Done. And when our social media guy, Pat, took a photo of us, you let that slide gratis. No, I didn't. I just haven't get, presented him with my contract. Bill of goods. $8 a pick, and if you want it signed, it's three, my dude. <laughs> uh, muchas gracias. You are good at this. I'm good at business. <laughs> do people tell you that? Uh, I tell me that, and that's the most important. That's wonderful. Who do I need others to tell me I'm good at business? So here's what I want to know. Please. Um, a year ago, yeah. New Girl ended the sixth yeah. season. Yes. A little longer than a year ago, actually. Yeah. And uh, ended in a place where people we would have been fairly he could have been satisfied yes, with that as a that's conclusion. Right. There were some questions about whether there would be more. Yeah. Um did you immediately cast off the shackles of your high paying regular gig and just get into business? That's what I'm saying. So when you got the call right. saying we're gonna need you, Jakey J, you're back. <laughs> you're back in the game. How surprising was well, that? Well first thing I did said, let me cut this ponytail off. <laughs> long was it? It wasn't. I mean, as soon as I'm <laughs> like off work. six weeks worth it, of growth. One of the most disgusting things about the way my body works, yeah. and I've been to doctors, no one can explain why. Uh, yeah. The second I go, I'm done working, yeah. my hair instantly grows to my lower back. <laughs> it is gross, Yeah. Uh, but it is beautiful. No, though, what happened after season six, which was interesting, was I don't think season six ended in a way that felt right because mm-hmm. Liz Merriweather, our creator of the show, mm-hmm. and, you know, really the the genius behind the whole thing, mm-hmm. um, she didn't think we were ending. And then at about three weeks to a month remaining, yeah, we started getting texts like, you know, I think my – I don't remember uh, the exact details of it, but I think my character was dating Megan Fox's character – I think we were like in a serious relationship. That happened, yeah. Yeah, but I think it was like right then, and yeah. then all of a sudden, Liz, we got word of like a text saying, because uh, uh, Zoe and I were always included in Nick Jess stuff. So where it was when going, the decisions yeah, were made like Liz or, would yeah. text us and we would talk it out. Right. Um, we didn't have final say, or in my opinion, any say. Zoe had some say. Got it. Yeah. But I was included in the text. Was there a certain time. point where they're like Nick and sorry Nick? They're like Jake gonna move Nick to BCC here. <laughs> What's BCC? Let's just. Oh, yeah, well, for sure. Applying that. Yeah, of course. Like, how many emails were you not a part of? The real ones. Right. I was part of the ones saying, like, um, do you insist on whole wheat for your peanut butter and jelly or can you do white bread? And I'd be like, disrespectful. There's like one email from from Finkel just being like, uh, Jake, you do a great job acting on the show. <laughs> you know, you do an okay job. End of 
message chain. <laughs> exactly. Got it. Uh, but what happened was I was with uh, Megan's character, and then all of a sudden they're like, I think we broke up in that same episode. Zoe and I were now together. Yeah. And it started going fast. really yeah. fast. And Liz was like, well, the reason we're going so fast is I don't know if we're getting a season seven. And I don't want to end this show and find out we got canceled and have not finished this storyline. Right. She said, that wouldn't be okay with me. So we did a kind of a Band-Aid finish that I don't think anyone felt great about. Right. Uh, but okay. enough so that if Fox didn't pick us up, we would have an ending. And how financially in the whole were you because of your assumed season seven profits? Like That's how- question. Yeah. Like construction Bad. sites. Bad. Bad. I was in the hole. I've been trying to open up a new fast food chain. <laughs> Tell me. Make sushi. <laughs> <laughs> now, the thing about sushi is everyone loves it, but it takes too long. It does. Do, I say yeah. fast food sushi. What could Who go Who doesn't wrong? want cheap fish? <laughs> to myself. Fast and cheap <laughs> yeah. seafood. And my, the whole commercial is going to be me shirtless yeah. in a beach, on yeah. a beach, crawling out of the water, wrestling with some of the bros at the beach, a couple <laughs> of homeless guys, and then I just go, who don't want some cheap, fresh fish? And I go, fresh is questionable. Commercial lines. Money. That's a hit. Money. I thought, I'm sorry to- Please, no, pitch, pitch. We're opening I've here. only put it right now 1.5 million into this. So I'm still open. It's a healthy start. I thought you would be wrestling the fish. Like that you would catch each- Give me a second. I take that down. <laughs> uh, wrestle a fish. When the ad guys I pay ask about it, it was my idea. Got it. <laughs> the cameras are off. Um, how much time passed between, okay, we've stuck this Band-Aid on the problem to yeah. we're going to get to come back? Well, so then uh, we all thought it was over, and I didn't. I thought we were coming back for sure. So even when Liz was saying we're done for season six, I was like, we're, we're under contract through seven. Right. And then uh, I got word from the agents and everybody saying, like, so we want to start talking about pilots coming in. Ooh. And that's when I knew, like, oh, you guys want to have, like, a meeting. Oh, and I'm like, is it really not coming back? And they said, they got word back that it's most likely not coming back. And then Liz texted me, um, if we want to come back, mm -hmm. we have to reach out to uh, Dana and Gary personally. The heads of the network. The heads of the network and studio. And studio, right. And tell them we want to come back. Because I think for them... They feel like we got an ending. The fan base is okay, so let's wow. move on. That's a personal touch to the business that it, people, this that, is why the value of podcasts, people don't know that. Yeah, so I uh, wrote an email to them. and Did I, they give you their real email addresses? Uh, I mean, all emails are just people's names. And then <laughs> right. at email.com. Yep. So I wrote to Gary and Dana. I'm not sure how to spell it, so I just probed it. At email.com, mm -hmm. sent it, and then I got the thing that comes back that says mail delivery, so I knew it got there. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing it. I know emails. <laughs> I also have an email business because I'm not afraid to make money. <laughs> uh, I do want to start an email business. Yeah, it's it's time for a comeback. Everybody does uh, phones, text mm -hmm. messages. Why don't we have a little email computer? Right, just that. Yeah, in our pockets, <laughs> or like a, or like a <laughs> heavy <laughs> yeah, heavy I mean, backpack. I mean, a guy I talked to yeah. said it's going to weigh about thirty five pounds. Can he get it under under? He's, his stuff is non-negotiable. Okay. He's expensive and he's old school. He uses rare metals. <laughs> the best metals. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I wrote to Dane and Gary and uh, I think Zoe did as well. And then we got word back that they were willing to pick it up, but they were just going to do a final eight. Okay. And so we got to come back and finish the show properly, which was actually a really nice thing to be able to do. It's really, it's interesting to me because traditionally sitcoms were not as serialized to the point where you would have storylines to wrap up. Yeah. You know, 
you have a good time. The bar's called Cheers. You turn the lights Although off. You're done. The end of Cheers. Right. Everybody got their ending. They did. Because they had the time. You're that's right. right. But a lot of those shows, and it was one of the things I wrote to Dan and Gary was that you know, a lot of these projects that I've done and that most people do, especially in 2017 and mm -hmm. 2018. A lot of people are making great stuff that nobody's seen. Yes. Or a tiny group of people are seeing. There has been a loyal group to New Girl mm -hmm. from the pilot mm -hmm. when they released it early that have stuck with it. When there's a bad episode, you'll hear on social media, they'll be like, not my favorite. See you next week. Yeah. They come back. Like, Thanks for checking us out for 148 episodes. Is that how many it is at the end? So I think 145 or something like that. That's a lot. A lot. Yeah. But people stuck with it. And I just kind of felt... If you're going to stick with people for seven years of your life and dedicate it to this show with all the great shows, mm -hmm. at least give them an ending where people go, I'm not happy it's over. Mm -hmm. I liked this being part of my routine. Mm -hmm. I like those characters. But they did end it properly. Yeah. And Liz Merriweather and the writers really did end it properly. So if you feel after season seven, it's not over, it's like, well, it's then never going to be over for you. Yeah. Like, we ended it. Now, if it wants to come back at some point or— well, the, the Dermot Mulroney, Megan Fox spinoff that it sets up, the backdoor pilot. Question, would I watch that? Answer, yes. <laughs> yeah. Would I produce that question? Already am. <laughs> Another business. <laughs> Another successful slam dunk. <laughs> I just got to talk to the big D and I got to talk to Megan. Right. And if they're both in, is, then I'm in. Is that Dermot or is there another big D— Dermot. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't know how many big Ds are in your life. Um, Pause. Well, look, uh, well, it was interesting, too, because um, I think we talked about this maybe years ago. The Nick and Jess stuff was, that was, that was, that was coming, and then yes. it came, and then it went. Yeah. Pressed a, pressed a pause on that for a number of years. Yeah. And then everyone knew that we were headed back there, including you guys, but yeah. how to do it now that you had the runway to do it. Yeah. Uh, were you on those emails? Um. Kind of. Yeah. Some of them. I was, you know, Zoe and I, from the beginning of this show, we really valued that storyline together. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when our characters got together, we both wanted them to get together, but we, didn't, we I don't think we wanted them to stay together. Right. Because it just didn't feel quite like the show. Mm -hmm. uh, but the what they've done in the seventh season was make it a way where it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you know, actually, because you've seen him. Well, I think that's public, right? I think can I we, don't know. I think yeah that we can say that there's a bit of a bit of a jump. Okay, yeah. So there's a time jump. So now it doesn't feel like the old show where it felt like there was a couple in the middle of a group of friends. Right. It's now everybody's gone out, done their life, and Nick and Jess are just another couple. Yeah. The thing that I also really appreciate about these last episodes is it feels like the writers have been freed to express the realities of their own lives six or seven years later. That's interesting. Because there are some primo parenting material in there. Okay, now, interesting. Recent listeners of the podcast know that we've been trending more Daddington recently. <laughs> like, that's kind of the vibe kind that I bring. Thing, yeah. um, but, you know, because New Girl was a show about young people figuring it out, even as the yeah. people became middle young, you know, a little bit, a little bit, you know. But it's the name of my production company. It's, it's going to kill. But but still circling the same kinds of relationship issues, jumping forward and committing, okay, this is who these people right. are now. They're in this next phase of their life. It's allowed a whole, it's opened up a new uh, vault of jokes. Right. And jokes about, you know, maybe finding it hard to stay awake uh, when you have a young child. There's some, there's primo material here that I respond to. I get, honestly, I need to, uh, I'm going to watch these final eight. Yeah. Because when I was, you know, you're when you're in it, you're not studying it. Right. So I don't have a gut feeling of how they are. 
Okay. I know for me personally, it was a really fun experience because I really do value and love that cast a lot. Mm -hmm. I'll never, I don't think I'll ever do another seven year show. I'll never act with people as much as I've acted with them. We knew each other so intimately in terms of professionally. Mm -hmm. We did so much like weird press together where we'd be on so many like stages in front of like packed crowds and be backstage together and then walk out, then fly places together. Um, So for me doing those final eight was a great thing where I was like, wow, I'll never get to like do this with these people. Did that help that sense of finality? It did. It it honestly, it felt like for me, it was a, it felt like a weird celebration where I was like, even when we were annoyed with each other at late hours, it would be like, oh, you're doing this thing that's always annoying, (laughs) but I never get to see it again. Yeah. It almost felt like, uh, like you're married to somebody Mm -hmm. at an early age, you say, this isn't working fully. Yeah. We always love each other. We were high school sweethearts, but now we have kids. It's too hard. Yeah. Let's stay together until the kids go to college. You're, you're pitching something very romantic right yeah. now. This but is, like we love each other, yeah. but I think our lives are going to be not together right. in our golden years. But we'll always have- But we'll always love each other. Yes. Yeah. We've been together since we were 14. Yeah. Then the early teen years of that example are yeah. really hard. Yeah, I would Where imagine. Where like the kids are a nightmare and you're like, I'm ready to move on from you and you're ready to move on from me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you blink your eyes and the kid starts their senior year of high school, your youngest. Yeah. And you go, well, hell, I am going to miss you. Yeah. I'm sure we've gotten in some stupid fights of how I cook the noodles, dear. (laughs) Of course I don't clean the bathroom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I love you. And so that was season seven. It was a lot of Max coming in my trailer and being like, it smells terrible. And being like, I'm sorry. And also, leave my trailer. Also, I've been cooking noodles. <laughs> and also, why are you in my trailer yelling at me? You have your own, right? <laughs> and then, but I'm going to miss you. Oh. So it was a lot of that. And that felt really good to do yeah. that with the crew, too. We had yeah. some crew members who had been with us for a long time. Casey Hotchkiss, the camera A operator who's you know done a little bit of everything, was a true legend on that in a way that like, I've never seen. Yeah. You would do a take. Before the director would give notes, he would say, you weren't very good, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, on camera, yeah. I would be acting. The camera would be here. He would at times go like this. <laughs> you don't got it. But you would know. And he was always right. There'd yeah. be takes where you're like, it seems like I got it on this. I don't got it. And then I would say, don't got it. And I'd be like, incredible. Let the director tell me I don't have it. Joey Perla, our uh, oh. costume guy, was just a king. Mike Rizzoli, our we just had a lot of great people. So being able to have that time. Yeah. To sit next to each other and have a couple of laughs before it ended was really special. There's a trend in television to do the more focused anthology series or yeah. miniseries limited. You know, you do your 10 episodes. And it's over. Then it's over. And, and quality-wise, that can really, that can create some great things. But there's something that is so integral to TV and the TV that we grew up with that I love so much sure. is that long relationship. That's right. As an audience as member as the well. The build. And to see, to watch some of these last episodes, there's some scenes where they just clear out the paint for you guys, for you, Max and Lamorne. And it's so funny because the three of you are so confident in the characters. Right, interesting. And you're so confident with each other. And the pleasure you have playing with each other is evident. Yeah, So totally. it's like this meta level of enjoyment that you don't get That's if it's right. just a prestige five-episode run. And I think that is the beauty of TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think in order to get there nowadays, it's such a tricky thing mm-hmm. that you're like, when you like, you know, because the show ended and I was all of a sudden back to pilot season. Yeah. And I was back to getting scripts. And I look, a lot of the scripts are good. And a lot of the packages were exciting. Yeah. But 
I couldn't take a job this year. And Lord knows financially I need to. It seems pretty dire. <laughs> seems dire. Because yeah. it is dire. Uh, but I couldn't take a job because it was that same idea of like, it, you are right. There was season seven for us was there would be a scene where we're sitting there and then our directors or whoever's there would say like, if you guys want to open this one up, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Because they would know we really wanted to. Mm -hmm. And as soon as Lamorne will do like a certain, like he'll like cock his head a little boy, we know the stupid bit he's going to do. Mm -hmm. As soon as Matt, like Max would come in feeling like more amped up. Yeah. I would come in feeling like I would have like, like you would like hear me thumping through the studio and you'd know like, uh -oh. yeah. And we got to the point where we were really only performing at certain points for each other. Yes. And if I could be doing something and I knew I'm in a two shot with Max, I know I'm going to try to get him to laugh, but he's not going to break. Mm -hmm. It became so fun. Yeah. But to start that yeah. and to like meet somebody new and be like, you're Calvin? What's up? I'm Jake. And have him be like, you've got some weird things about you, Jake. And I'm like, you do too, Calvin. I'm like, and I'm getting too old for this shit. No, it is. The, the relationship aspect of it is really- It's really tricky I understand to start that. over. It, the thought of, you know, even if you have a very happy marriage, like if you have a fight and your mind goes to a dark place, you're like, I'm not doing all this again. What am I going to do? Meet somebody new? How exhausting. <laughs> I don't have it in me. No. I'm Glover. I'm not Gibson. You do. Got it. Got it. You are sitting on that toilet with a bomb on it yes. for as long as, as you long need as I, to. Look, in this world, yeah. you're either you're either Gibson or you're Glover. Right. There's nobody else. There's no in-between. Our friends at Fox PR will love the low-key lethal weapon shout-out. <laughs> I think that's great work by you, <laughs> Mr. Doesn't Do Press. Um, thank you. Welcome, Fox. It's great stuff. They need the help. Yeah, there's a, there's a moment, and I won't spoil anything else, but there is a moment in the first or second episode, to be clear again, I've only seen two. I understand. And I'm done. Um, where uh, Max physically accosts you, and you physically remove his body from yours, and there's a beat, and you say, I'll do it again. And this plays out again. And it's funnier, of course, the second time. I don't even want to know if it was in the script for right. it to happen twice. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't. But, but because it's just so... What this, was the uh, setup of that this is the Why pleasure. does he uh, uh, you, you, His uh, child is sleeping yeah. or having trouble sleeping. Uh, you enter his home right. because there's a lot of... One of the great things that the, the new season steers into is even though these people don't live together, they will oh, not they, leave uh, each other Andrew, alone. Yeah, that's right. And you enter the home... At a, at a high volume. Right, okay. And he attempts to physically silence oh, you. I, okay, I do remember that now. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there was ever he was supposed to touch my body. <laughs> I think he was supposed, I think it was written, and I could be wrong, but yeah. it was probably written as like uh, over-exaggerated, silent silencio or whatever. Yeah. He would always improvise, get physical, because I don't necessarily love to be touched. Yeah. I mean, apart I've from my, that about you. Yeah, apart from my family. Right. You know, even when we first said hi and I yeah. awkwardly touched your shoulder. Yeah. The second time I thought like, we've done our greetings. Yeah, we're fine. We're fine. It's another year before <laughs> that we try that again. <laughs> 18 months later. <laughs> yeah. Well, good okay. to see you. Yeah. Um, but I think that was a a way to get some bits in there for him. Yeah. Physically. Physically. What was the last day on set like? That actual day wasn't emotional for me. Um, You're a killer. I know it. And I, I think it was very disappointing to uh, uh, some of our producers and mm -hmm. Liz, but the we did we did True American to end the thing. Mm -hmm. And I actually did break my hand, see, uh, episode seven. Of this, of this last show. season. My character is wearing a cast for the last episode and a half, and it's because I broke my hand wow. wrestling with Dermot Mulroney. Well... So that's actually breaking news. That's amazing. Uh, and, so and that's this, also, in, I respect that. In the scene, uh, we were goofing around and 
my hand hit the wall and I broke this bone. That's terrible. It was awful. So we then had to, I had a cast on it, so they had to write the cast in. So for the final episode, which is a flashback episode, uh-huh. part of it, I had to be hiding the hand. Because, because your hand couldn't have been broken for all those years. My hand wasn't broken when I was in college. Right. Uh, so, and then we were doing True American, which when that game, when that game was, uh, originated season whatever mm-hmm. it was an improvised bit mm-hmm. it was they had a few ideas we went handheld camera operators were running around we were all improvising we were all just making it up as we went it was overshot by nature it was this has to go long because we don't know what it is yeah on the last day to be doing that we were all just like we want to do like two person scenes where we get to like sit and make each other because doing true american is never funny to do Right. It's not like... They find it in post. It's not scenes that you shoot where you're like, so then everybody stand on a table and then throw feathers in the air. And you're not like, oh my God. <laughs> what will they think of next? Watching Max yeah. do that. You're like, no, if, if it cuts together with the right song and it's fast, it'll work. But right. that wasn't what I loved about the show. I loved a two-person scene. I loved working with Zoe when it would be, we would know at the end of this scene, we have to hit a dramatic moment. Mm -hmm. And in the middle, there's this really ridiculous bit, Mm -hmm. but we can't stay too far in the bit or we won't get that sweet moment. And finding that dance when it was cross covered, meaning there's a camera on me and there's a camera on her. Mm -hmm. And we did the rehearsal a couple of times and our director would say, yeah, let's just do it. And then once we start, we're a little off script, but we're still beat perfect. That to me was when I'm like, oh, I love this show. This is really fun. I could act with her forever. So the final day was a big true American day. So I think by the end, everybody was like, yeah, okay. Let's call it. (laughs) But episode seven uh, for me was the sad one. Episode seven, there's a big thing that happens. Sure. uh, And that was when I was taking it all and looking around at everybody and thinking, wow, I'm going to really miss these people. Let's take your business career. Yeah. Such as it is, and let's put it aside for a moment. Okay. In a, in a, in a, me, hold on, let me move the gold. Exactly. In, in a large metal canister, we're going to call the, the the great idea can. Okay, great. That's where your okay, business great. career like goes. That. It's over there. It struck me for a while when we've spoken that the balance that you had found was a pretty good one because you have this day job essentially on a yeah. show that's run by smart people and you enjoy working with. That's right. You have a schedule, and then that allowed you the opportunity to go. You could go do a big movie, but you could also go do these small movies that you that's were doing right. with Joe Swanberg, which were which are excellent. Thanks, and um, when it all was last year, you spoke to Chris for that. So uh, it kind Chris. of invalidated the whole process for me, but I found, <laughs> I found a way into that movie. I did. Yeah, good. I was a little sore, but... I get it. Um, and that was sort of, you found you found a rhythm with that. Right. So this clearly upended that now. That's right. Am I correct in reading that you enjoyed having that balance? I did. Uh, you know, it was it was tricky because when the show started, it was perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't have kids at that point. Right. So my, my daughters came season three, which changed a lot. Yeah. So I've been in an interesting spot in that I don't want to work as much as I used to want to work mm-hmm. because you miss things fast. And uh, the way my family works and the way I work is they cut me out quick. You know, I'm definitely, if there's a third wheel in a family, it's me. Oh, let's have that conversation. And I know it. My team knows it. Yeah. Mom is the MVP. Yes. Uh, I've got two daughters. They're each other's Pippin and Jordan. Got it. I'm maybe an athletic trainer. Can I give you my take on it? Yeah. I have a similar situation, two daughters. Um, the analogy I've always used is a political one. Yeah. Um, my wife is the president. Right. I'm the vice president. 
When the president is in the Oval Office, the vice president is a punchline. It's a joke. <laughs> like, what's this clown doing here? He has no official business. What a loser. He will be yeah. sent on a diplomatic mission to Gelson's. You know what I mean? Like, and, he will, and you know what sure. he'll do there? It'll be fine. Yeah, and you know what he'll do? What, yeah. What the president tells him to do. And if he gets the wrong rotisserie chicken, yes. his ass is going back. Yes, yeah. immediately. Yeah, for and sure. the best the vice president can hope to do in the eyes of the president is avoid severe disappointment. Yeah. Mild disappointment is a sense. win for the VP. That makes sense. Now, when the president is indisposed sure. or on a trip Busy. of her own. If she's golfing. The vice president's authority is respected in yeah, that moment. It's kind that. of an Al Haig grabbing the podium thing. Yeah, I hear that. For limited amounts of right. time. <laughs> okay. There is a certain thing around day three or four when the constituents are like, we didn't vote for this guy. Yeah. This isn't our country. <laughs> See, we don't recognize our yeah. country anymore. If he continues to run this country, yes. we're in a danger zone. <laughs> yes. But yes. there's nothing we could do. No. Yeah. Mine is a little bit different in that... So going back to the work thing, while I'm there, right. I am not number one, but I, I talk so much. Yeah. I make a lot of jokes with my kids. I'm really on it with them. Yeah. So I can fudge my way in so that it seems as if mm -hmm. I'm a true member of the team. Got it. So that they're like, oh yeah, I guess we have to do his rules. Right. I guess this is both of them. Yeah. But if I go take a job, let's say, you know, I just did the movie, I did Tag, the yeah. movie last year. Oh, coming I, I got it here. We're going to talk about it. Just doing a little promo. Nice work. Uh, everything is business, baby. <laughs> uh, but the family came with me for that one. Nice. But then we did a reshoot. Oh. So they're like, you know, we just need you for four or five days. And where, this is out of town. In Atlanta. Right. No problem. Jakey J will uh, you know, jump down and do ATL, yeah. do what I do professionally. That's It's your job. When I got back, yeah. it was a foreigner in a foreign land. <laughs> they had moved on. It was honestly as if I spoke a different language. <laughs> I came in, I was like, hi. And, I was, and also, my wife moves really fast with decisions. Yeah. And I may uh, do the same thing all the time. Mm -hmm. She's uh, let's change to make it better. So all of a sudden, like, our toaster's in a different place. Uh -huh. And I'm like, what? And then she goes, oh, also, we're not going to do the clothes and leave the clothes here in the laundry room. It doesn't work like that. So we're uh -huh. going to, when you do the laundry, you put them in. And I was like. There's a new system since like, you've been uh -huh. done. And then the kids are in the system. And yeah. then I'll go, all right, well, it's after school, so I guess we do this. They're like, no, no, no. So after school, we all eat. And I'm like, everything is different. And I was only gone four days. I have to be in there. Because also the currency you've built up, not the actual yes. currency, but you can't try to impress a four-year-old by saying, well, I was with John Hamm yesterday. <laughs> exactly. I don't care. No value. No value. No value. And, and you know, again, Yet. a lovely Yet. man Yet. in all senses. Well, look, when they get a little bit older, John Hamm's going to mean something. It's going to mean a back. lot more. Yeah. And that's why I, I That's why you'll call him and he'll say. No, I just take a few selfies with him. That's right. <laughs> he's like, what are you doing? I go, this is for wardrobe. Do you mind? John, John, he's like, honestly, leave me alone. We didn't interact during the movie. We didn't become friends. John, John. You don't charge him for those, I imagine. No, no, no. Got it. I mean, I would. I just don't think you would pay and he's bigger than That's me. That's probably right. Yeah, I get it. So, but, so that becomes tricky. So during the era of New Girl, when it first started, it was perfect because I was work obsessed. Everything was about either writing or being on set. Yeah. And I loved it. So then it was... You know, I have that job through that time. And then I would have four months where I could either try to sneak into a studio movie mm -hmm. and have a smaller part or mm -hmm. take a bigger part in an indie. Uh, and now without that, you know, the other thing with pilot season, which was tricky, was, you know, there was a show I really loved with a creator I really loved that I started feeling like it was a short series that I wanted to do, but it didn't shoot in Los Angeles. So I thought if this was a movie, I could convince the team to go for yeah. 
seven weeks. If this is a TV show and it gets picked up and it's season four, I know my team. And I also, I'm like, I can't be sitting in like a rented condo somewhere. Yeah. I was like, I'll go friggin' bananas. And then when I get home, you know, I'm no longer dad. I'm mom's boyfriend, Gary. <laughs> yeah. You, know? you might actually would have a better shot if you reintroduce yeah. yourself. I will come back with a tattoo and I'll smoke outside. The ponytail. Always. Yeah. Uh, I will, after dinner, be like, excuse me, ladies, uh, I'm going to go have a cigarette. And she'll go a block away because of the windows. And I'll go, all right, no doubt about it. And I'll go, I'll take the dog for a walk. Uh -huh. And the dog and I will not like each other no. anymore. And it'll be a lot of like, I'll take the dog. Once I get outside, like, come on, you fucking nightmare. <laughs> I, <laughs> I will have a bulging gross tattoo that yeah. comes out. Yeah. And I'll think these daughters, you know, these girls should be with their dad. And yeah. he it's should be around. It's a shame what it's happened shame. to him. It's a shame he moved to New Mexico. <laughs> like, it's just a bummer. It's a bummer because, you know, they don't respect me. Yeah. And realistically, I'm not a great role model, man. No, not at this point. I'm just the boyfriend Gary, you're, man. You're running around. Yeah, and I would have a canned beer so that as soon as I took the dog for the walk, I'd be like, I'll, I'll see you guys. I'll be, and then it's just... Do that look. That, yeah. And then I'd be like, as soon as I taste it, I'd be like, oh, this is the happiest moment of my day, <laughs> which is a dark feeling because I spent the whole day with my family. <laughs> but the beer tastes good. Beer tastes... Well... Beer always tastes good. That's the thing. Um, yeah, that's the part of the, about the glamorous job of acting that people don't appreciate. So it's tricky. <laughs> so going back to the uh, the schedule, the schedule was great, but I was really relieved. I will always miss New Girl, but I was relieved it was over because it's it was such a time suck. And it wasn't one of those shows where, you know, if you do a multicam show or you do a show like Modern Family where they shoot fast, yeah. Those guys have the dream job where they were like, oh, yeah, I shot Tuesday and Friday. Yeah. I was out by noon. Yeah, we had Lori Metcalf um, come talk to us, and we were asking her about going back to Roseanne. We were like, you're just Oscar nominated. Is it a little strange to go back? And she said, it's the greatest job I will yeah. ever have. Because you work 14 hours a week. It's the secret. Yes. I had no idea. It's but it's not single cam. Right. Or it can be, depending it's, how it's done. But a multicam, the traditional no, way of doing it. The traditional yeah. way in front of the crowd, because that's the camera setup. And it's it. So once you're in it, you do it. Right. Our show was, uh, it wasn't that. And it was never that. And it was our, cre our you know, producers on it didn't strive for that. They said, rather than go fast, what if we just kept shooting? Let's see what we can come up with. Which creatively, I, I understand. Sure, but that can be exhausting. But then you start getting to the world of kids and families and everyone's like, I get it. But I got here while it was dark and I'm not going to put anyone to sleep tonight. Is there a way we could do it? And then you start getting to the, I'm not mad it's ending, but I will miss everything. Yeah, because I remember the time, and this was probably pre-season two when I talked to Dave and Brett and Liz. Yeah. And they talked about their process for making the show. And they were basically like, we keep extra clothes in they, the office and we was, scare each other because we're all ghosts that yeah. live there if you begin that way and aspire to it i think yes. they all liked it i think it was it was the allure of what uh snl pr promises right that you know you never leave that eighth floor right and the 4 a.m joke is going to be worth it you yes just you, get there. you just have to stay up all night and all night and all night and look to liz merriweather's credit she pulled it off yeah she wrote a show that became New Girl. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I will be indebted to her for the rest of my life. I will be impressed with her forever. Also, her process is just not, let's get out of here by lunch. And right. Well, also because after you make a pilot, and and I remember reading, it was chicks with, chicks, Chick with Dicks or something. Yeah. That was the name of the original name of the pilot. Can't believe that didn't fly. <laughs> um, you decide what the show is going to be. And That's they right. decided a very high degree of difficulty. That's right. Of 
okay, we're going to do that joke, but then we're going to do six skyhook dunks over that That's joke. Right. And to get those next over five or six and over jokes, and over, it's going to be, right. it's going to demand this yeah. kind of. Uh, and so I'm now in a zone where the slate is clean mm-hmm. and I don't have any contractual obligations. And it's a really unique place to be in. I'm fortunate in that I am still. Uh, considered to be in this business? Yes. Until this podcast drops in two hours, yes. Hasta luego, baby. <laughs> it's not luego. Nope. You know, you know, just almost came out that will be better. Mm. Hasta Luigi, baby. Oh, that's great. For Mario Kart 9. Hold on. Yeah, take that down. Make a shirt. Hasta <laughs> Luigi, baby. And then Mario's on the back looking sad. Should we tell people your phone's not even charged or? You mean this little black rock I found? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I've been doing, which is sad? I just painted numbers on a rock (laughs) because who can afford a phone? But also people get it. You know, people have seen, they go, that dude is talking on a rock. It's a power move. It's a power move. It's a Japanese river stone. (laughs) Just to be in a meeting and go, I'm so sorry. So the project is grab a rock and go, hello. Yeah, I'll call you in a little bit. Sorry, I had to take it. I'm so sorry. Oh, that was business. Would you like with this clean slate to be doing more things like you did with with Joe, where it's yeah. you know you're you're writing, you're you're there from the beginning in the creation of it. I know that you have other projects that you are writing or co-writing. Yeah, I'm, so yeah, I, honestly, I the like I'm begging you to pr- pr- promote things. Look at <laughs> I'm like try, I'm going fishing in the Japanese <laughs> river. I want fresh fish. Honestly, one of the reasons I haven't been doing a lot of podcasts or press lately is I know I'm not good at it these <laughs> you're, days. You're killing it. You still got it. You still right back into it. it. I don't have it. Okay. Uh, no, I'm writing something with uh, Damon Wayne's Jr. We sold a movie, nice. uh, which I love. Uh, we've been trying to do something since Let's Be Cops. Mm-hmm. We've been... Can I pitch you something? Please. Let's still be cops? Pass. Okay. I respect <laughs> your <laughs> speed. <laughs> I respect... But we've, you know, there's been a lot of years where we've been trying to find the right thing. And finally, we had an idea that we talked out. We pitched it to Netflix, which is a place I really like working with mm-hmm. after Win It All. I like the streaming model. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, we've been writing that, which has been a lot of fun. I'm working on something with a guy named Josh Greenbaum, who did uh, the short game documentary. He's a documentarian, mm-hmm. which uh, we're going to go out and pitch. But all this stuff is kind of, you know, the Damon thing's a movie. And it's a limited window. It's a limited I see window. See what you're doing, yeah. And the thing with Josh is a very short uh, series. It's a docu series. So I don't know in terms of the long term, mm-hmm. and I don't have a, a big plan. And I enjoy not having one. And it's been uh, I haven't really worked since uh, New Girl ended, which was probably Christmas. That's great. Apart from writing, but your, writing's at home. Your beard looks great. Thanks. Your hair shorter than I expected. No, there's a little, you got a little something there. A little there. bit of heat. Yeah, little. I, I had to trim it for uh, tag reshoots. <laughs> oh, tag reshoots. Yeah. Okay. Well, your, your hair's a little something going on in that, too. A little something, yeah. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I think that movie could potentially surprise some people. Well, if you, if you told me the name that it's about people playing tag, I, you I'm would be blown sure. away and you would say, let's win awards. I'd be like, let's go. You'd I assume say, it's a can, but you, when is it opening here? You would say the Academy Award yeah. goes to. Yeah, that's that's how yeah. I preface the conversation. <laughs> um, but then I see who's in it. Yeah. Got JJ in it. Yeah. It's like to see you. Pass on everybody it's else. It's a big cast. It's a big, so here's, so you, got, you got Ham and yeah. Renner, two, two objects of enormous fascination for this podcast. Yeah. Oh really? Those um, are two guys for you. Yeah. Well, Ham, I, I have I have since met friendly guy. Yeah. Um, great. Have actor. you sat down with him? Never sat down with him. We've had two handshakes, yeah. and uh, my wife has not forgiven me because I think you know 
you, this is the first time we've spoken since yeah. I moved to Los Angeles. Sure, I moved here for career. I get to do the podcast you with can't Chris. Put you on. But why did she come? <laughs> with the thought that if she just strolled by Little Doms like on a Tuesday, she might see John. He, she, she would leave me for him. Look, she's not wrong. He's very handsome in person, and, and his handshake is. And I, and I gotta say, he's a really nice guy. It sucks. He's he terrible. He's a uh, very likable human being. That's the worst. Yeah. Um. I, the movie. I. So here's what happened to me. I would love to keep talking about John M. Oh, we're gonna move to Renner in a second. So, <laughs> so you, you 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 do your little spiel about the movie. Uh, but truly, both of those. I was with John way more than Renner. Okay. And you'll see when you see the movie why it's our group is trying to really get Renner, right. but he's kind of the untouchable or untaggable. Oh. And you telling me I'm rusty. You still got it. Thanks, baby. Um, but what really pulled me into the movie, so when I first heard the pitch, Jeff Tomzik, uh, the director of it, who I'd known through our friend Steve Berg, who's also in the movie, uh, he gave me the pitch and it was a hard pass. There was an instant, I have zero desire in being in tag about a group of uh, 40-somethings playing tag. Mm -hmm. Uh, Partly because you're still in your 30s. You're mid mid to late 30s. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, I always check now to see like, which side of the dark river my <laughs> exactly. guests are on. <laughs> and just please enjoy these next, this next six, seven weeks. Thank really. you. Um, but it, it did not seem like a movie that needed to be made. And then I heard it was based off a true story. Mm -hmm. And there's a little doc about the actual guys doing it. And I watched it. And I really liked it. Because I did have that thing where I thought, like, this is fundamentally very stupid. Mm -hmm. uh, but as, like, what they're doing, and then they just lean in so hard, and you go, oh, what this really is about is about how do you stick close with people you care about year after year mm -hmm. when life starts pulling you apart? And I was like, I like that. And then so I talked to the director, and I'm like, how are you going to shoot tag? Yeah. What are we going to be in a wide shot running around playing grab ass? I was like, honestly, because if so, if so, I'll pay for this. Uh, but I don't want to film it. Oh, wow. No cameras. Artistic. It's a play. <laughs> no audience. And I want all unknown actors so I can do what I want. You are a good business. <laughs> I just, if the ideas are just. That idea cost me $500,000 in lawsuits. <laughs> <laughs> but the shoot day was cheap. All settled. It was just a park. All right. Uh, with a couple of hobos. Um, but when I said, how are you going to shoot the actual tag? Because I thought the way this movie gets in real trouble is John and I are in a room and they say, just start trying to play tag and then improvise. And we're running around and like trying to come up with jokes. And he said, I want to shoot the action like it's a straight up action movie. And he said, it's, we're going to take the tag of it so seriously. Right that it will be stupid. He goes, we're making one of the weirder, stupider movies, but I think it's going to be really fun. And so, you know, shooting this, uh, the action for Tag, and shooting the action for The Mummy with Tom Cruise yeah. didn't feel that different. Well, the lead actress is in both. Yes, believe, Annabelle. Right? Annabelle is in both. So yeah. that was a nice yes, that bridge was in for a, you. But like the yeah. way the, the crew built sets, the way we did things, the yeah. stunt coordinators... I would have to remind myself, we're doing tag. And, <laughs> and then... It's really not that different than doing The Mummy. I mean, it really what, is. it's I just, mean, we're play acting. Look, we're, we're talking about products. It's <laughs> we're talking about quarter pounders with cheese. Yeah, which are delicious. Which are delicious, if that's what you like. Uh, but now you got a lot of different options. Are you going back to the sushi idea? Because <laughs> legally, I feel like you should not. Go back to the sushi idea. I think we should let that As one. soon as this one ends. Um, 
But so it was, uh, I was then really interested, but on the fence. And yeah. then I thought the key for this personally was going to be, because I was involved very early. I did a, a uncredited rewrite with Jeff where we started like talking things out. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was before the movie was real uh, or it was real, but all it, had, it was me and Ed Helms at that point. But I don't even think he was official, but I know he was a producer on it. And then when the cast started coming in, it felt like a joke. Yeah. It was like when I heard Jeremy Renner's interested, and I was like, why? <laughs> and then they're like, Isla Fisher wants to. Isla Fisher's one of the funniest human beings yeah. on planet Earth. And I was like, Isla Fisher's going to do it? And then Leslie Bibb's going to do it? Yeah. Like, Leslie Bibb's hard funny. Yeah. And then Hannibal will do it? Yeah. And then John Hamm's going to do it? And then it just like, it keeps going out. Rashida Jones is going to do it? So did you try to talk anyone out of it or you just, took uh, it? well, I pitched them my movie. Oh, grab tag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which was a financial nightmare. I see. You're wearing it well. Yeah. I'm not, it doesn't feel good. That one was a disaster. Yeah. And I'm still in post. I'm still editing grab tag. Thank you for taking time. Yeah. It's a, Andy, this one's embarrassing. This one <sighs> bothered me out financially. Wow. And emotionally. This, we're gonna we're gonna rebound hard in this <laughs> yeah, podcast. Exactly. We're gonna find a way. At the I don't end. want to get into grab tag. No, it's too dark. It's too dark yeah. for now. But so that was that movie, and it was fun. And I I think look, this could go two ways. Well, you and I could be talking next fall, and I can go. I knew that movie was going to be a disaster, and the <laughs> critics were right, yeah. and the audience was right. This wasn't the temperature for tag. Yeah. Or I could go. You know, I told you it could surprise some people. And so I'm going to go optimistic. Nice. I like that. I'm going to say it's not going to be the critical darling. We're not going to be at the Indie Spirit Awards. Right. Uh, but I do think those who see this movie, I saw a cut of it. It's without doubt a fun movie. And it feels like one of those fun summer movies. I got to ask you about Renner. Please. Just briefly. Because yeah. we said at the beginning of the podcast, there are not that many people in the acting profession who just do it. You know, it's just a business for them. Right. The reason we're obsessed with Jeremy Renner is not just his, his incandescent performances on screen. It's that he seems to really only be motivated by his house flipping business. <laughs> but, but like in all interviews, he's yeah. fairly straightforward right. about that. Like, yes, I guess I have to go to Atlanta to shoot arrows for the Avengers. But there's a mid-century. But there's a mid-century modern. Is that true? In you know, in South Pass, that I'm gonna uh, flip that and make a fortune. Not in so many yeah. words right. said by his mouth into yeah. a microphone, but this is just me. I uh, I didn't get that sense from him. Mm -hmm. uh, he was, to his credit, a real gamer on this movie. Day one of shooting his stuff, he has to jump off uh, a high ladder, you know, and he's got wires on him. And it's his character is up at a church and jumps, but it's like a 20-foot drop. Mm -hmm. But he's on wires, so you're not supposed to get hurt, but it doesn't feel great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when the wires pulled him, they pulled his upper body a little bit more than his lower body. So as he's like pulled towards the ground, yeah. so he landed awkwardly, put his hands down to not hit his face and uh, broke a bone and broke a bone. Oh my God. And It's as dangerous as the new girl set. Worse. Yeah, that's true. I actually was injured doing new girl, which is not the coolest <laughs> thing. Thanks for pointing that yeah, out. Yeah, coming back to that. Uh, went to the hospital, took x-rays. Fractures. Now, not displaced fractures, right. but he broke his bones. God. Uh, later that day, he was back to work uh, shooting tag. So he does. So he, he does the work. So, so that's my only thought. If he was just for the house flip, that's a very easy. <laughs> I can't come to work today. You're going to have to shoot me out faster. Right. But Jeremy Renner showed up, did his stuff. And, you know, we all thought because he left 
there was talk between cast and crew where we're like, wow, I think this movie's getting derailed. <laughs> like, I think it's day three. Like, holy shit, this is hilarious. This is over. Yeah. We're done. I think we're done because <laughs> you're not replacing him now. It's too late. Yeah. Um, we are already like, wow, this movie's over. That's so weird. That's never happened. And I'm like, John, pleasure to meet you, man. Uh, go Cubs go. I hate the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's already Hannibal, awkward. Nice to meet you, man. And then all of a sudden he got word, Renner's coming back. And I was like, oh. Okay. Okay. I realize there are many things still on the plate for us, but we got to let Chris have his say. We got to set up his interview. Yeah. So I know because this may in fact be your last promotional appearance <laughs> <laughs> for a number of reasons, both litigious, professional, <laughs> creative, social, and familial. <laughs> Would you like to send us out? Would you like to set up Chris's interview with the filmmaker? Would you like to send a message to people, a farewell sure. of your time in this business yeah, and in their I'll, lives? Uh, I'll set up Chris's uh, interview really fast and I'll do a farewell. Get ready for a boring interview. Uh, this subject's cool, but uh, I bet somebody could have done a better job. Um, good luck, Chris. Uh, if during it you think those are bad questions, I told you so, and I've literally never heard it. And but think who could have done it instead. Just imagine. At all times going forward on the watch. Just imagine. That first name is very flexible. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be that way. This is, we have a we have an app running. We could switch that out. You just let me How know. How fast could those uh, social media they, guys really quickly just... They've been rebranding for the last 40 minutes. <laughs> a hard rebrand. Uh, and then to everybody who's watched my stuff, yeah. who have allowed a kid from the suburbs of Chicago to live his dream. Uh, I thank you and uh, farewell. Arigato. Hey guys, quick break for a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Thomas's English Muffins. This is so exciting because Thomas's English Muffins have been an integral part of my mornings since I was a kid. Chris Ryan's as well. There is nothing quite like an irresistible nooks and crannies texture. You know how long they've had the tag phrase nooks and crannies? Like this is formative for me. It's still the thing because guess what? It's real. That's really in the muffin. And that's where the butter pools. That's where all the good stuff is. Perfectly toasted, crispy edges, that soft, warm center. I love a delicious burst of flavor from a Thomas English muffin. My family loves Thomas's English muffins. My in-laws love it. This is a rare subject that there is universal acclaim for. So Thomas's Nooks and Crannies English muffins are truly like no other. Put one in the toaster now and then listen to the podcast. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by First Leaf. Guys, when it comes to buying wine, most of our choices are made out of habit. You know my habits. I will look for some interesting California Chardonnays. Maybe we'll get some Chablis going on. But the point is, even I get stuck in a rut sometimes. First Leaf is a new online wine club that's putting a stop to boring wine buying. It uses your reviews to make personalized wine selections match to your tastes. Go to their website. You answer three quick questions about your wine drinking preferences, and then you can get started with an introductory three-pack of wines that usually go for 20 bucks a piece, except you're going to get them for $5 each. You taste them, you rate them online, First Leaf takes those ratings and then selects new wines that you'll like based on your taste. The more wine you taste and rate, the better they customize your box. Side note, the more wine you taste and rate, the more wine you taste. There is no downside here. For First Leaf, you never have to worry about spending money on a bad bottle of wine because they guarantee you'll love the wine you buy or you get your money back. Try First Leaf Club, where buying great wine is simple. So to get your three-pack of introductory wine for only 15 bucks, go to tryfirstleaf.com slash watch. That's three wines for only $15 on your first order at tryfirstleaf.com slash watch. Experience First Leaf today 
at tryfirstleaf.com slash watch. Hey guys, we're about to get into my interview with Ryan Koo. Ryan's somebody I've known for about 10 years now, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, I knew him when he and I both used to work at MTV. And when I knew him back then, Ryan was working on a web series called The West Side uh, that he had done, which was about sort of a modernization of a... uh, you know, Hatfield and McCoy style Western set on uh, the west side of Manhattan and kind of like a dystopia. Uh, since then, he's basically been working on this film, Amateur, which now uh, comes out. It came out on Friday on Netflix. And Amateur is the story of a prep school basketball player, a 14 year old kid um, played by Michael Rainey Jr., who you may know from Power. Uh, and he has a basketball player that goes viral and he becomes subject of a feeding frenzy for these prep schools and you get to see the underbelly of uh high school basically prep school athletics prep school basketball his father is played by brian white his mother is played by sharon leal and josh charles who many of you know from dead poet society and uh the good the good wife plays the basketball coach it's a really really cool movie i talked to ryan about the seven-year journey from short film to feature film to festivals to working on this to trying to sell it to getting it to Netflix and getting it on people's computer screens basically all around the world and it was a really interesting conversation just about everything that goes into getting something made in 2018 so enjoy our conversation with Ryan Koo and be sure to check out Amateur on Netflix all right it's my pleasure right now to be joined by a friend of mine we've known each other since like the early 2000s. I can't believe now we're referring to that as the early 2000s. Long time ago. Filmmaker Ryan Koo, who's out here in Los Angeles. He's got our Netflix movie. Congratulations, man. Amateur. It's coming this Friday. I guess that would be April 6th on Netflix. Ryan, welcome to The Watch, man. It's great to be here. Um, Why don't we start? I know obviously a lot about your story and a lot about this movie, but for people who don't know much about it, tell me about what Amateur is about and a little bit we can get into after that, we can get into like how you kind of arrived at this point in your career. But tell me a little bit about what Amateur's about. Sure, yeah. It's about a 14-year-old basketball player who uh, his his highlight video goes viral. And, you know, he's hoping to one day be perhaps one of those kids on the uh, One Shining Moment montage that you would have <laughs> just seen this week. But he's 14, he's in eighth grade, and he's at the beginning of his journey. And, uh, you know, the internet has exposed these kids really early with with these highlight tapes and with scouting websites and, and getting ranked really young. So he's he's facing a lot of pressure at a really young age. And this is a project that you've obviously been working on for years in different iterations, right? So this was something, you had a short version of this that you had taken around to festivals and worked on, and then you decided to make a feature version of it. Was it a, a, a the case of like, you felt like there was more meat on the bone, you wanted to extend it into a feature-length film, or was it something that... So maybe some producers or financiers would be like, hey, there's there's something here. You should explore this as a feature. How did that work out? I had actually been writing the feature for a while. Okay. And I hadn't directed anything that was basketball. So that's where the short came from was to find something that was more doable. The short, uh, it's also called Amateur. It's out there on Vimeo and YouTube. It's just a one-on-one game, which obviously requires a lot less yeah. to film in terms of resources. There's nobody in the gym. It's an empty gym. So it basically, by it being a conversation between two people, I could I could control the, the situation and not need a budget. So that was where that came from, and it was kind of a side idea to the feature. But the feature was always something that 
I'd, I'd been working on and was hoping to get made, and then thankfully Netflix came on and made it a reality. The basketball scenes in this movie are really good. They're obviously made by somebody who loves basketball and also uh, s- someone who recognizes that I think that the, the the major quality in good basketball movies is when you have actors who can play basketball. Uh, we, we, we like to have a lot of fun here. I, I think the uh, Edward Norton American History X the dunk. Is, the, is the great moment of... of uh, of that guy can't really play basketball. But can you tell me a little bit about shooting basketball? Because this is something that I've always been fascinated by ever since Hoosiers or White Men Can't Jump, where I'm like, it seems like an actually very unique act to film because you've got, it must be so hard to block. Can you talk a little bit about, especially expanding from one-on-one to team to team games, what it was like to, to learn how to film team basketball? Absolutely. Well, the first thing is that your actors really have to be able to play. So you're not just cutting from a millisecond here <laughs> to a millisecond there. One dribble. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and with basketball, even just the way someone catches the ball and the way they set up in a three point stance, like it's like uh, you know whether they can play or not immediately. So the first thing was just casting and, and making sure that everyone who was uh, an actor from by background could really play basketball, or in many cases on the team. We just cast basketball players who never acted before. Right. So, uh, but but the shooting of it that you're talking about, it's definitely complicated because we're all used to seeing basketball from the sideline, mm-hmm. and there's ten guys from that in the upper court. angle that goes up and down. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and making a, a a major movie with sizable equipment, if you put the camera in the middle of the floor, you've got to make sure that everyone is moving and not running into the camera and getting injured. So my objective was to really put the audience in the middle of the action Mm -hmm. as if they were a player and they're right there with our protagonist, Teron Forte. And so that required a lot of half-speed rehearsal and then speeding it up gradually and then really having everyone hit their marks from the cameraman to the players got to make the shot, you know, otherwise you got to do another take. And and really not relying on editing, but just showing that everyone can really play and, and making it feel like the experience of being a player as opposed to being a spectator. In the moments, it, was there any moments from the set where either A, you guys just could not get something done because it, like a basketball play wasn't coming off or where you guys were maybe filming or maybe it's like something technically went wrong on the camera side, but like the players that you were filming pulled off something incredible. Like, were there any funny moments in actually shooting the the sport? Sure. The, the, the one that took a while was there's a moment in the movie where Michael Rainey Jr., uh, our lead actor from Power, he had to hit a shot and sort of do the Steph Curry turn. <laughs> you know, he has to release yeah. it and then turn around and stare somebody down while still making the shot. Yeah. And that's a shot that the way we shot it, we actually could have cheated. You know, yeah, all, all sure. the basketball is real. We could have just dropped the ball in the hoop. But on an indie like this, it's a sports movie, but it's an indie you're really hustling to move. And if you want to get somebody with a ladder to come over and try to drop a ball into the hoop, it's going to take longer. So yeah. you're, you're better off just doing doing it until he, it until he makes shots. the shot. Yeah, yeah, right. No, it didn't take 30. Yeah. But, you know, for the actor, too, you're, you're doing it and all the other players have to reset and do all their movements. And then the extras are all cheering. So it, it creates sort of a pressure environment for your actor, just as if it was a, a real game. Um, one of the moments that was a pleasant surprise was there's a stadium sequence, and, and I sort of wrote a, I kind of wrote the the Kobe fadeaway long two uh-huh. terrible shot, you know, in terms of efficiency. And sure. What would, yeah. and the analytics would not agree with this shot. Daryl Morey rolls his eyes. Yeah, as he sees exactly. This, yeah. So, so I wanted the opposing team to, you know, pull off one of these Kobe shots, and we were we were rehearsing and choreographing and setting it up, and. Uh, 
the first take, the guy just made the shot. And and we were like, wait a second, we had this scheduled for, you know, for a few more hours yeah, of the right. day of shooting, but <laughs> he made it. Let's go, let's go watch the playback and then we can, we can move on and get ahead of schedule for once. Was there any degree to which the, you add in athletic performance into what is already probably a very vulnerable position for people to be acting? So is Michael also conscientious of like, what he's like as a player as well as what he's like as an actor? Because I would imagine that would be an added layer to beyond just like, hey, good take, man. Thanks for delivering that emotion and getting to the the narrative place I needed you to get within that scene. But there's also like the psycho- psychological element of constantly trying to think about like how they look, how they're going to look on camera and stuff like that. Did you notice that like uh, awareness about on the part of the cast? As a director, I usually don't like actors to watch playback because they can get self-conscious sure. about some of the things you're talking about. In the case of this movie, I had that be the case for everything except basketball because I think people knew they were doing a smaller film that had bi- really big basketball scenes. Yeah. And so we wanted to show them what we were doing and how it looked and how it looked in slow motion and all these things. And that would give them, I think, a lot more confidence going into the successive scenes to know that we were we were getting it right. Yeah. One of the things I loved about the film um, is the typical sports movie relationships, whether it's like tough dad, coach, slick coach or whatever, they all have a little bit more nuances. And I particularly really, really enjoyed um, Brian White's performance. I thought that there was a lot of like shades to that, to that performance. When you're writing something like this, when you're making a sports movie and you're probably like, I'm sure like me, a huge lover of sports films, how aware of it are you of cliche of things you kind of want to echo, things you want to avoid? What were some of the things that were bouncing around when you were writing this and then when you were filming it? Well, all of those things, it's such a hard genre to work in because there have been so many sports movies and people's immediate reaction to it is, I've seen that before. And that's always a little bit strange to me because some of these people that are saying that are probably going to watch a rom-com at the theater this weekend with like the same tropes and this, you know, this sort of like middle-aged white people dealing with relationship problems. and, And it's like, wait a second, when was the last basketball drama really? I mean, are these cliches or is this something that's really prevalent in our real world? So you do have to navigate that. For me, the approach was to try to bring a level of authenticity and nuance to it. So even if the character feels like somebody you might have seen in a movie before somewhere, that there is an additional layer. And Brian White, as the father, as a former football player in the movie, has a whole nother element going on where you're seeing your son potentially be a superstar, but you're also knowing what the aftermath of giving your entire life to trying to be an athlete yeah. and failing what that could be. You guys do it. It's such a great economic scene when they first pick him up when he's walking home from school and that little exchange about you know, it's a bad day for him and you know he doesn't play anymore. I love that exchange. I um, should also say that, that Brian is uh, the son of the late, great JoJo White. Yeah the NBA Hall of Famer, and Brian was a football player himself. Yeah. So I think what you're seeing in his performance is that he has so much history himself and having been a player and, you know, played in NFL Europe and sort of, you know, been on the cusp there before he became a successful actor is that he he knew— um, what that character was going through innately. Some of uh, the—I don't know if you're a fan of the the show Veep, but— I've been reading some interviews with Armando Iannucci recently because he had that film Death of Stalin out that's really quite funny. And he's been talking about how challenging it is to satirize politics in this day and age. And I was almost wondering if with the current climate of the NCAA and 
whether in your own research for stuff for amateur, you were like, I don't even know if people would believe this. Even little small things that you you, you were presenting early on in, in the film, like when uh, it's clear that there's kind of these two schools that he's really, there's the athletic factory, but then there's also like the, the regular prep school that he's going to. Like little things like that that I didn't know, but was there other stuff that you came across in research where you're like, is anybody going to believe this? Like, it's because it, some of it borders on the absurd, in, especially in real life. Exactly. I think I think the truth is stranger than fiction in sports. And there yeah. are so many things that I encountered in research that I just said, if I put that in a movie, it's not going to be believable. Like we're trying to bring a certain gritty authenticity to everything. But because it's still at its heart, youth basketball, if you really go farthest with these are the dirtiest things that are going on and this is how bad it gets – that I, I would basically just send the script to people that didn't know sports mm-hmm. and then see whether they believed it or not because everything has happened. Yeah. And this movie doesn't even get close to the worst things that that have happened. So we definitely had to to just pull back to, to feel what was believable in a fiction setting. Sure. Um, can you tell me a little bit about working with Josh Charles? He's obviously probably the biggest name involved in the movie. I thought he did a really good job like having that kind of like at once kind of like a nice – you know, wholesome Brad Stevens quality and then some darker qualities. Um, what was it like, you know, getting him involved in the project and what did his involvement mean for the project in terms of like selling it or, or, or getting getting more eyeballs on it? It meant a lot. And he's a sports fan, right? Big sports fan. Yeah. You know, he's a Baltimore guy. Uh, he was a star on Sports Night, yeah. the show. Yeah, and yeah. that was part of why I approached him uh, because I figured he'd have a passion for sports. Um, also, someone who'd done The Good Wife for years. And and a lot of people, when they've played really successful roles on television, part of the idea of what you're going to do next is to find an interesting role and maybe something that's a smaller indie or, you know, whatever it may be. So so I think the timing was right to get him on board there. And he and I did a lot of work on the character to find that ambiguity in the shades of gray uh, of somebody in his position who's caught in this larger game and, yeah. and with larger institutions and rule a 400-page rule book yeah. that he has to, to navigate while still trying to, to win games. So Josh is a fantastic actor, and as somebody who was also a child actor himself, if you go all the way back to Dead Poets Society, sure. he was probably Michael's age when he filmed that. So it was also nice for me as a director to have somebody who knew what it was like to be in Michael's shoes and who could be working with Michael on these scenes and all of us together, um, you know, finding what we were trying to accomplish and, and getting it across that way. Yeah, I mean, both in the film and in real life, you're seeing this. Um, it's a lot. There's a lot of plausible deniability going on, I and mean, even for somebody who's got a story as sort of littered with darkness as Patino, where he has created this world around him where he can sort of say, "I had no idea." even if he is the person who is ultimately accountable. I thought that was something you guys brought in where it's like, you know, it's not until you really, really get close to the sport that you realize, like, what a huge industry basketball is. Was there a part of you as a huge fan? Where's the gut check part about whether, you know, because, like, you're obviously also, like, I can love basketball and I really mm-hmm. want to like make a basketball movie, but then you're also depicting this world that's like essentially vampiric in a lot of ways, you know, like where's your head at when it comes to like celebration versus criticism versus just like an honest portrayal? Sure. Yeah. I mean, some of that, I, I hope if you watch the movie on Netflix, so by the end, some of that comes across in terms of uh, where, where you walk the line and, and who you're championing and who you're potentially uh, seeing as, maybe more of a villain in, in the world. Yeah. But 
What I really wanted to get across was, and one of the reasons why it's about a 14-year-old, is that pure joy of playing and how much it means to be free on the court away from some of the, the pressures off of it. And so that was kind of what our my love for the game was was uh, was put into that part of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then maybe some of the more, uh, the rule book and the institutions and some of the restrictions on that freedom was what I wanted to explore was sort of the darker side of the movie and, and asking questions about why th- the things are the way they are and maybe what they should be going forward. I mean, it's kind of, it's nice because there's, there's some parts of it that I think are inherent to the very specific and in somewhat corrupt way in which we promote youth sports and that youth sports becomes college sports and pro sports. But then there's some stuff that's just like what happens at like boarding schools and like what happens in groups of, of young men and like how they kind of haze each other and how they break each other in and how they like kind of test one another. Um, I'm curious about the parallels and I guess this is sort of, you know, I, I don't really know how the best to, to sort of articulate this, but I've known you for a while. I knew you when you were making what is essentially like, I don't even know if this is antiquated at this point, but a web series, you know, <laughs> I, I guess that's just like digital content now. And I knew you when you were trying to like, you know, get this stuff going with amateur. And I'm wondering if you saw any parallels between the system that you've obviously been a part of for the better part of a decade now, if not more, and the system of amateur to pro athletics. And like, the, I, I would imagine that the similarity would be the amount of people that you look around sometimes and you're like, what do you do? Like, what are you doing here, man? Like, what are you in this for? I mean, I don't know if you can talk about that freely without feeling like you're you're burning bridges. But I'm, I was just curious about whether or not you, there were some similarities between the experiences. I, th- I think what it comes down to is both in basketball and in film. Mm-hmm. There are very few people that actually make the thing. Yeah. And then there are a ton of people around it yeah. profiting off of it. But unlike in amateur basketball, which is where it's tied to a school and there are restrictions on being paid, in film, at least you, even if you're not going to make much money, and for me working in this movie for seven years, (laughs) it's not not the money that's the motivation. (laughs) Um, But at least I'm allowed to be paid. Sure. And um, I think what it is is like, both of them, the similarities that you're picking up on are you're trying to be at the 99th percentile of whatever it is you do. And the other 98th percentile, you know, are not able to make it. So it's just that the parallels are that it's incredibly hard work and that very few people make it out. Um, seven years and now Netflix. What was the process of getting it to Netflix? How did that work? Uh, I think that obviously they've been in the last two years on this huge content push where they're they're getting a lot of stuff up there. What was the process of, 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 of getting together with them? Sure. I was pitching this movie for years, but Netflix wasn't making movies yeah. at the time. They, yeah. were, they had started doing original series. They had done House of Cards and Orange is the New Black and a lot of shows that you and Andy have talked about. But they uh, were going to festivals and seeing Finnish movies that they're the worldwide TV network. They mm-hmm. want every territory in the world. And, and if they wanted that, they needed to get involved at the beginning of movies. So for me, trying to make this movie, which maybe didn't ascribe very closely to what was a traditional independent film, which usually the audience is a little bit older and yeah. whiter. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, people who go to art house theaters and 
they're certainly not movies that star a, a 14-year-old black kid in their lead because you're trying to find recognizable faces overseas and these kinds of things. When Netflix started deciding that they were going to make original movies, we were actually one of the first ones they signed up to make mm-hmm. because it made so much sense for them. It's the right platform for the movie uh, to reach the the target audience and to speak to sort of some of the larger societal things that, um, you know, NBA players are watching Netflix all the time. I mean, it's it's really it's really great to be there. But we were basically I, I was just pitching the movie until they decided they they wanted to start making movies, and then and then we were off to the races. So did they come in and were they a production partner or were they more like you give us the movie when you're done and we'll we'll handle the distribution? Oh, they they financed this movie from the script stage. Oh, that's great. And so they were our partners all along. They were fantastic creatively. Yeah, and their notes were great. And um, yeah, I mean, as as I couldn't be more excited now to be on that platform as well because it's just they can just algorithmically, magically, you know, put it right in front yeah. of, of people that they think are going to like it. And I think we have a really large audience for this movie for for a first time feature. So I have a couple of questions about this. One is that I'm curious about if you, this is your lifelong dream to make a film and have your film coming out. How does it feel to have it coming out to my computer and millions of other people's computers versus I think what you and I probably grew up with, which is just like you're like pounding the streets at festivals, and then even if it gets picked up by a distributor, you're probably right now on a like whistle stop tour across the country, doing promo for it in every little city, every college town that might pick it up in their art theater. Am I right? Like that would probably be the fate for this movie exactly. in 2006, right? So how does it feel? Not not anticlimactic at all, obviously, but what's what's it like? Like how do you go about promoting a movie that is going to be available to literally it? everyone with a Netflix account? Well, first of all, I've always actually put content online. I mean, the yeah, first thing absolutely. I recognized for was a web series. And then when I made the short titled Amateur, we also didn't take, we, we went to festivals later, but we actually just premiered it on Vimeo. So that's always been, I guess my track has been to, to try to put it out there into the larger digital world as opposed to a few hundred people maybe in a theater. Uh, it, def- it, it, it it's strange in a way, you know, because as you said, you sort of grow up with a certain ideal and then the world has changed by the time you get there. Yeah. Um, but the thing that's been so rewarding about it is that Netflix is such a huge globally recognized brand and platform that when they post the trailer and you're talking about hundreds of thousands of views or millions of views to see the engagement yeah. and the way that people are so excited to to watch it and people tagging each other on Facebook and saying, hey, we've got to watch this. Yeah, and, come and over people, to my house and exactly, stuff. Yeah, like, right. Or saying, hey, can I get that Netflix I mean, password? It would be cool people just for just like your friends it. and family where it's like if you if you were just releasing this in a movie theater and you're like, guess what? I My movie's coming out. Who like, you know, New York, L.A., Chicago, whoever, but like. What if people were like in North Carolina or wherever were like, yeah, well, I mean, let me know when it comes to video or let me know when I can rent it. And it's like, no, you guys can, everybody everywhere can watch it. It must be super exciting. Is it, is it too early to talk about what's next? Probably. (laughs) But I will also say that I think some of the best, I don't know about you, but some of the best movie experiences I've had have been where I didn't know anything about the movie. Yeah. And part of what happens sometimes when you go the traditional route and it's at a festival and there are a ton of reviews out there months before it comes out and then there are seven different versions of the trailer. Mm-hmm. By the time a movie comes out, you know so much. Whereas for us, we did the trailer and there's Netflix did a great job with the poster. But really, some of the things that I'm engaging with in the movie, they get to be surprises yeah. for the viewer. Also, I mean, there's probably about. a lot of people, I mean, especially with the way just anecdotally from like, especially seeing from the younger people we work with, 
the amount of stuff on Netflix that they give a chance to that they don't do for stuff that's on, you know, linear television where they're just not, they're not saying like, oh, I'm going to DVR this thing that's on FX or AMC and check it out just to give it a shot. Whereas like when they open their computer Friday night when they get home, they pretty much check out like whatever they're seeing on the homepage of Netflix, just like, hey, uh, I'll give it a shot. That's that must be pretty exciting. It is exciting. And they have so many ways that they can surface content to people that they think are going to like it. And, and it's going to live forever there. That's the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and over time, I think you might see something pop up on your Netflix with a, a different image than it was before. And maybe you weren't in the mood for it one Friday night, but then you watch it a month later. And, and it's a really interesting, uh, maybe very efficient way yeah. of delivering content. I was, I was just thinking about some of these blockbusters where someone, the studio will spend $300 million on the movie, but then they have to spend $300 million to market it as yeah. well. And whereas if you have a very technologically advanced algorithm and people are checking in on your platform every day, certainly several times over the weekend, there's a, a way that you can spend more of that money on content than marketing. Potential. You can always just like re recut the movie, recast the trailer as like a midlife crisis movie starring Josh Charles, you know, like kind of like a one, like that's your wandering, heartbroken, romantic comedy indie right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to ask Josh about that. <laughs> yeah, it might not be in his deal. All right. So the movie comes out Friday. This is the end of, I guess, a seven year uh, labor of love for you. How hard is it to move on to the next thing? Uh, like, do you start, have you started already thinking about the next thing? It doesn't even have to be specific what that thing is. I'm just, when something is in the chamber for so long, how hard is it to let go? It's really hard, especially because the way it's coming out on Netflix, the world has not engaged with it yet. Yeah. You know, it's, we didn't have that sort of Preamble. screenings and stuff right yeah. so I'm, I'm just i'm i want to see it all the way through to the end and enjoy the release and the engagement and the conversation online you and, should live stream when it goes live like you should, be <laughs> like, you should periscope it yeah <laughs> so it, we'll see but i think you know one of the nice things about doing a sports movie is unlike a lot of first-time indies it does use a lot of the tools in the cinematic language mm -hmm. toolbox and it's kind of like an action movie in that way so as a, as a director that's exciting to have done that and mm -hmm. as you as you pointed out you know have carried out the complicated blocking and then know that that's something i can bring to other genres sure. which i'm which i'm excited about okay awesome all right it's on friday april 6th amateur director ryan Koo, and we can't wait to have him back with whatever he has next thanks chris Guys, did you forget today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by the gods at Thomas's English Muffins. These are breakfasts worth skipping the snooze button for. Thomas's is the only breakfast brand that delivers a one-of-a-kind eating experience with its original nooks and crannies. I would argue it's a unique breakfast experience because everybody loves them. Maybe you like butter on yours. Maybe you like almond butter. Maybe you like avocado and sea salt because you live in California and there's natural bounty everywhere you look. The point is there's nothing quite like that nooks and crannies texture. You can use a fork to split them. You toast each half. You watch the butter melt and pool inside those nooks and crannies. You love it. You already love it. But if you're one of those strange people who has never experienced a Thomas English muffin, go get them. Toast and butter some nooks and crannies. Enjoy them today. They're truly like no other.